Would you pray with me? Lord, we um, thank you for a song like that, that your faithfulness is great, Lord, in all seasons and all ages. Um, Lord, when we think we've gotten to the end of your patience and the peace and love you provide, Lord, we haven't even scratched the surface, God. So just thank you. Um, thank you, Father, um, for who you are. Thank you for Jesus and uh, we just want to say we love you, and we know we love you because you first loved us, God. So we just rest in that love and say thank you. Um, Lord, we pray you would bless our tithe and our offering. Lord, we know that all things um, again, that we have, you provide. Spiritual um, food, yes, but even physical provision, Lord. So let us trust you and obey you in giving. And Lord, just pray you'd multiply what we give for your glory. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. Um, it's good to be with you. Um, happy Labor Day weekend. I've never, I've never known what Labor Day weekend's really for. You celebrate work by not working, so whatever. If they give you a day off work, take it. That's, that's all you got to do, just take the free day off. It's good. It's good. So... Well, I hope it's a restful weekend for you, and if you have tomorrow off, enjoy time with your family and, and just rest. That's good, that's good. But, so we're going to do our last Corinthian sermon today. Um, we're in 16, and I'm really just going to hang out in 13 and 14, verses 13 and 14. Um, I want us just to see what Paul says there. It's a, it's a short, but I think very powerful little snapshot of, I think, everything he's been trying to say. Um, so he says in verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. If you remember when we started this book, I said frequently, um, if there's hope for the Corinthian church, there's hope for any church. Because it's a, a mixed up church. And there's so many issues Yet, yet Paul has come all the way uh, to the close of this letter, um, and he doesn't—he doesn't come to it um, frustrated. He doesn't come to the end of this letter uh, discouraged. He comes to the end of this letter hopeful, and his greetings are warm in how he ends it, and as much as how he begins it. And so he says, just. I think in these few verses, everything he said just as quick as possible as he can. So this is like, today's like, a, you know, when you know you're going to have a test on Friday and your teacher says, today's review day, y'all better pay attention because your test is tomorrow. And it's just like, here's the, here's the important stuff. Remember this. That's kind of what we're doing here. Taking a 30,000 foot view of everything that, that Paul's kind of said and the big principles behind it. So simply put, I think Paul teaches us here um, what it means to really hold on in the Christian life. And not hold on for dear life, but hold on well and make it, make it to the end. 
Paul said a lot of things uh, in this book you can't deny, and none of it's cohesive. The, the topics are like all over the place. We've literally gone everywhere. The only like common thread in all the things that Paul talked about in Corinthians is that they're abject failures at everything. That's the one common thread in all of these subjects. And just to revisit with you everything we've talked about in Corinthians, divisions among believers, um, arrogance and spirituality, thinking I know more than you, tribalism, my guy's better than your guy. Um, they were dishonoring to Paul as a spiritual father. Um, sexual immorality, lawsuits against believers, right principles for marriage, um, economically, when you come to faith in Jesus, like knowing how to like live in your station and don't feel like you got to go outside the lines and be something you're not. God can be with you where you are economically, and that's good. Uh, how do we deal with food offered to idols or kind of just dealing with, you know, living in an, un, you know, an unsaved world? Um, how do we take care of gospel ministers? Um, how do I be all things to all people? In other words, how do I be flexible in the culture to do the most I can do to reach you know, the culture for Christ? Uh, head coverings, so what's, what's culturally appropriate for men and women? Um, you know, we talked about that in a little bit in the sense of in the home, but in the church gathering. We talked about the, the, the possibility of idolatry, fling idolatry. We talked about abusing the Lord's Supper. Remember a bunch of them getting drunk? Uh, marginalizing poor people. We talked about the right use and abuse of spiritual gifts, um, orderly worship, doctrine of the resurrection, last week, money. No cohesive. You know, it, there's nothing there that makes any sense in this letter. Um, the common thread is they drifted from righteousness in all of this. And I don't know this, but I wonder if Paul like, got to the end of his letter and he's looking at this stack of papers. And he's like, oh my gosh, like what did I do? I was thinking, like, how did I plant this church? It's awful. You know, like Paul is writing this church he planted and he's got 16 chapters of papyri, however many stacks of paper that would have been. And it's like, oh my goodness, like what, what, what is happening here? And so it's like he just feels compelled to say, look, be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong, do everything in love. Do everything in love. And here, here's, here's the thing I think that's so amazing about this. Is Paul is not discouraged. He's not discouraged. Here's why Paul's not discouraged. And here's why you and I can't be discouraged. Okay? Nothing ever wrote on Paul being awesome. What counts for the Corinthian Christians and what counts for you and I as a church is whether or not we have access to two things. Spirit and truth. Okay? And we have it as much as they have it. I don't need the Apostle Paul. I need the Spirit of God and the truth about God. And I really think that's encouraging because that means... All of their past failures and all of your past failures, all of their present struggles when Paul's writing, and on your present struggles right now, are not an indicator about where you'll end up. Because that's how we think as humans. And you can imagine Paul reasonably, you think, well, I, the Apostle Paul, planted this church, and if this is the kind of mess it's come to, surely it's not fixable. 
Because, you know, I'm Paul and everything. And if they've fallen this far, it must be so that they're lost forever to God. And that's not at all the case. Paul's willing to say, you know what? God can still do something here. God can do, still do something here. But, but believing that is not passive. Like, so don't worry about it. God's going to fix everything. Paul's very willing to say, you know, direct commands to them. Like, y'all do something. Like, you, you obey. You resist sin. So having the Spirit of God and having the truth of God does not mean I can just sit back and expect it to happen. It means because I have access to the truth of who God is and I have access to the Spirit of God, Paul can say to you or we can read the Scriptures and know that God expects me to obey. God expects me to do something. So if you and I are going to hold on, I want us just to grab these few little things here Taking this view. And the first thing is be watchful. Paul says to you, are you watchful in your Christian faith? Nothing good just happens in the Christian life. Internally or externally. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and, oh my goodness, I was sleeping and the Spirit dropped off like the Easter bunny. Um, compassion. I was asleep last night and I went to bed a raging alcoholic and I woke up Sober and alcohol, yuck. It doesn't happen that way. You and I, we grow up in Jesus inwardly when we put our hand to it and we say, God, I I am doing the hard work and I can do the hard work because I have your spirit. I'm surrendering to you. You don't wake up with a knowledge, a greater knowledge of God magically. You, you, You study, you apply yourself to know God's Word. So so understanding what it means to be sanctified in Jesus, it it does mean on your part and my part, sacrificing, laying ourselves down. It's it's not a, a passive thing. It's you and I doing what Paul says he does. He says he struggles with all the power of God that God works within him. You know. So Paul says to you and I then this thing. He says, be watchful. Be watchful, or you could translate it, stay awake. Paul's saying you need to constantly uh, be alert in the Spirit. And and Paul saying that is not at all unique to this passage. Um, It's scattered really all throughout the New Testament. You think about back in the Gospels, uh, Jesus uh, says stay awake. You don't know, know what day your Lord is coming. So he likens that to a servant that squanders everything he was supposed to do and the servant's caught last minute and he wasn't awake. He wasn't alert. I wish I could tell you that there was this league of Christ followers who plateau. You know, I did 30,000 quiet times. I've got logged 50,000 prayers. I've been to church 90,000 times. I've shared the gospel so many times I have plateaued. And I no longer have to worry about drifting from God. I don't have to be watchful anymore. It's so natural to me. I just am that way. I wish I could tell you that, that that happens. But you know what the truth is? On this side of eternity, until you're in the grave, you and I must be watchful. You've got to be watchful because you are a drifter. You're in every way a drifter. Be watchful for a few reasons that the Bible tells us to be watchful for. You've got to be watchful because Jesus is coming back soon and you don't want Him to find you 
in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, with your heart in the wrong, in the, in the wrong place, do you? You want Jesus to come, come back and say that well done, good and faithful servant thing, don't you? You want Jesus to come back and find you surrendering to His Spirit. You want Jesus to come back and find your hands busy plowing the fields for the kingdom. You want Jesus to come back and you rush and say, Jesus, you're here. You don't want to go hide behind a rock because you know you've been disobedient and lazy in your faith. So the Scriptures encourage us to keep the nearness of Christ ever on our minds so that we're alert. So that we're alert and we don't get lazy in the present. The second reason the Scriptures would give us about why we need to be watchful is because we have an enemy. We have an enemy. Satan. He's a very real enemy. In 1 Peter, Peter says you need to be watchful. Why? Because he says Satan roars around like a prowling lion. So it's always true that the enemy, however he works, however he, he works, he is working to tear you down. He is working to wound you. He is working to pull you off of the straight and narrow. And so negligence and soul keeping, that's a, that's a prime hunting ground for the enemy. Remember, you remember what Cain, Cain is told by, by God. He says, hey, if you don't do this, you don't, what's sin doing? It's crouching at your door and it's always ready to consume you. You and I are prone to indulge the flesh, aren't we? We're prone to do what's best for number one. We're, we're given to reform, not to Scripture. We're given to reform to worldliness. So, we're all, um, we're, we're, we're all in the same boat. Now, does that mean that you can't grow up in maturity, and the more you grow up in maturity, you know, obviously, you know, you're not the same immature believer you were years ago. Yes, yes, but I want you to understand this. Growing up more and more in the faith does not mean you have a bigger puffed up chest saying, ha, I'm this much better and stronger. The opposite's true. The more mature we are in the faith, the lower to the ground we get to say, oh Lord, I see how vulnerable I am. And I'm that much more dependent on you. So it's quite the opposite, Christian maturity. So, so I want you to see biblical tools then. If I'm going to be watchful, I don't know, you know, I think it's easy as a pastor to throw out big words. Y'all be watchful and it's all going to be good. That's not helpful. What's it, what's, what's it mean to be watchful? Two things I want us to think about here that the Bible sets forth as biblical tools for watchfulness, okay? The first one is prayer. You, you cannot uh, read Scriptures and, and see any other thing that watchfulness and prayerfulness are tied together. I'm going to read you some verses to kind of, kind of show you this. Colossians 4.2, Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Matthew 26, and we did a whole sermon on this a few weeks ago. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. 
So you, you, you cannot be someone that's watching out for your own soul, watching out for an enemy, watching out against your own flaws, watching out against reforming to worldliness and not come to the conclusion, I desperately need God. And God, because I desperately need you, I'm coming to you in prayer, recognizing my own weakness. And guess what? When I come to God in prayer and, I, and I, I'm spiritually sharp, because I'm praying to God those things that honor Him, and I'm in His presence being filled with Him in prayer, guess what I become? Spiritually sharp to keep watching. Watch and pray. Be alert and pray. And in prayerfulness, in prayerfulness, we're kept. It's carelessness. It's carelessness through which the enemy attacks us. It's, it's mindless wondering. And we all do that, don't we, from time to time? You're like that gazelle not paying any attention. You're just going through the, the field. But guess what? That lion, he's crouched down and he's ready to get you. The second thing is ongoing humility. Do you live with the constant recognition of how frail you are apart from Christ? How frail you are apart from Christ? Think about when Jesus talks about the Pharisee that comes to the temple and he says, oh, I thank you I'm not like other sinners. I certainly thank you I'm not like that tax collector over there. And what does the tax collector say? He beats his chest and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So it's that kind of awareness of my own weakness. It's that kind of awareness of my own sinfulness that keeps me depending on God. And not for like shame, like, you need to always think about how low you are, you know, to be ashamed of yourself, and you call it worm mentality. You, wor- I'm just a worm before you, God, and I, I'm constantly ashamed, and oh, I'm so low. Not for that reason. I don't think God wants us to squalor in the shame of it. He wants us to see, though, how much we need Him, because when I am in my weakness, then God's strong, right? So the Christian life's upside down. It's, it's in seeing how weak and lowly I am that God really comes through mightily and powerfully in this life. I found a little poem. I like little poems anymore. Well, they, poems just have a good... Good poems have a way of putting a lot of big truths into a few words, and I appreciate that. But the poem is called One Little Hour, and it says, One little hour of watching for the Master... Eternal years to walk with Him in white. One little hour to bravely meet life's duties. Eternal years to reign with Him in light. One little hour for weary toils and trials. Eternal years for calm and peaceful rest. One little hour for patient self-denials. Eternal years of life where life is blessed. And that puts things into perspective. Yes, we're called to watchfulness, friends. But remember, it's for a short time in comparison with eternity. No one just shows up to heaven. How did I get here? How did I get here? God's grace, of course. But because I labored in the Spirit, and I sacrificed, and I fought to stay on the straight and narrow in the power of the Spirit. So the Bible commands you, strive, watch, guard, be patient, look out. And all these, all these issues that we're talking about from whatever, pick one of them, 
communion done wrong to divisions, none of it just happens. It's, it's intentionally setting myself to love the other. It's intentionally setting myself to make sure that you know church is orderly. I'm setting myself to make sure that all, all bits and aspects of church life are what they are. But then like on a personal level, I guess I want to ask you this question, and I have to ask myself this question, and even as I ask you the question, I know I don't ask myself the question enough, so I'm repenting of my own sin while I encourage you to repent of your sin. Okay? Do, do you live to be alert of sinful tendencies in yourself? Right? Do I, do I live to, to notice um, those things my eyes want to see? Okay, you know, fellas, you got shifty eyes at work looking at things we shouldn't be looking at on the internet, looking at things we shouldn't look at. Little secret world of lust in my brain, nobody knows about it. What about little tendencies in my heart? I just want something a little nicer. Walking around, I just feel like I, you know, I'm a little bit more successful than everybody else. I count a little bit more. You know, I have anger problems, but those are justified. My anger problems are justified. And, and all these little things are Satan. He's getting like these little footholds and putting up these little barricades on the straight and narrow to keep you from being watchful and seeing the things in your heart and life that you're not surrendering to Christ. So, so if I say all that and you're going, oh, that's hard. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work to be that thoughtful about every aspect of my life. Yeah, it's a lot of work. But what what does our poem say? It's just one hour in comparison with eternity. And isn't eternity with Christ worth the labor to be a good Christian soldier now on the battlefield for His sake? Absolutely, friends. Absolutely. It's just an hour in exchange for the glory, uh, eternal glory of Christ. So be watchful. Be watchful. Second thing, he says, stand firm in the faith. I don't even have to reference it. Like, what is it? It's just so short. Our passage is so short. So stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. The Greek word for stand firm in the faith here is steiko. And you know what that sounds a lot like? Our English word steak. Now, not like a T-bone steak, like a steak you drive in the ground. Stand firm. Put a stake in the ground. When I was about 18 years old, I went out to eastern Kentucky. One of my friends lived out there, and it was a terrible snowstorm. And it wasn't just snow, it was a thick layer of ice, and then a layer of snow. And, you know, I got it in my mind, I was going to be, you know, like this camper guy, I had all this tent, so we'd go deep in the mountains, and we're, this is going to be awesome. And we set the tent up, it's freezing cold, I mean, it's freezing cold. And all excitedly, we jump inside the tent, and the tent slides on that ice all the way to the edge of a cliff. And by the sheer grace of God, we opened the, the zipper door and got back out before we met certain doom or what, whatever horrible paralysis we would have experienced or lifelong, whatever. Now, did the mountain move? No, the mountain didn't move. We moved. And why did we move? Because our tent pegs, our stakes, weren't firmly in the ground. 
And so, friends, it's, it's the same question for you in a spiritual sense. In what have you driven down the tent pegs of your faith? In what have you driven down the tent pegs of your faith? Paul says in Colossians, you were alienated, you were hostile in mind, you were doing evil deeds, but now you've been reconciled. But he goes on further to say, pass all these good things if you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. It's what you've already received. It's what the Corinthians have already received. It's what the, the, you know, the Christians of Colossae have already received. And Galatia, and Thessalonica, and Macedonia, and Asia, and all these places you, that he went. And it's true for you now. I, I, I don't need the Apostle Paul here. I don't need anyone here. Because I already have this thing called God's Word. And I already have all that I need to thrive for God. And I think that there's really a huge sigh of relief in that. Otherwise, absolute truth, I think, is unknowable. And this whole point is silly. And, and there would be great cause for uneasiness in the Christian faith because who knows? You know, like who knows? I mean, a century ago, you know, abstinence before marriage was cool, but that was their thing then, and we've just changed it now. It's just different. It's not bad. It's not worse. It's just different. Right? You see, as soon as you, you give up on theology and the morals it teaches you, it's just a matter of preference, isn't it? Well, that's my truth. It's my truth. So that was their truth, and I've got my truth, and in 200 years, Christians can change the you know, truth a little bit, and they'll have their truth. And that's, that's, that's really the world in which you and I live. But that's not truth, right? Because truth is truth is truth is truth. And God's standard supersedes culture and it supersedes you know, preference and it supersedes the opinions of man. And, and God has written a letter from His heart to us. And it is called the Bible and it is these 66 books and it is preserved for us. And as much as you know, you could do a study on how can I trust you know the Word of God? Is it reliable? And you can do that, and you would find it's incredibly reliable if you've studied that. It does come back to faith and believing that God is good to communicate Himself to me, and I read it. You know, it's what John Piper calls a peculiar glory. There's just something about the Bible that when I read it, my faith you know is warmed, and, and the Spirit speaks to me, and the Bible's just different. Do you have those pegs of faith in the Word of God? Because it's always you know, been the case, but absolutely today, it's silly to believe the Bible. It's silly. It, it, it's very foolish to the world more and more. And, and you really have to believe that you're going to stand firm on it. You know, deconstructionism is so popular today, whether it's, you know, Christian artists, music artists, or pastors, or people, you know, I'm going to deconstruct my faith, and you know, I've deconstructed, and I don't really believe that stuff anymore. It's, it's highly trendy to do that, and I hear about that, and you read about that um, in the news. Can your faith be deconstructed? Can your belief in the veracity, that's, that's the good old word for it, the veracity of it, it's true, you can't change, is that there for you? 
because the Bible will always be a source of hate speech to somebody. The Bible will always be anti-intellectual to somebody. The Bible will always teach unfair things to somebody. The Bible will always be stupid to somebody. Somebody or some bodies will always have good reasons for why it needs to be gotten rid of or changed or altered altogether. And I'm not saying we can't, you know, quibble over second tier and third tier issues that maybe the Bible's not completely clear on. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. But friends, are your, are your tent pegs uh, of faith firmly in the Gospel? Firmly in the truth of His Word? Or, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it's fine now, but I'll, I can move around a little bit if I'm convinced. Sure, sure. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Why did Christ set you free? For freedom. What did, what did He set you free for? For freedom. So don't, don't let the world, don't let someone's opinion, don't let the devil throw slavery on your back again. Don't, don't let the enemy make a slave out of you once Christ with His gospel and the truth of His word has already set you free. I want to say at the end of this point, um, this is not an individual task. So if Paul was Southern, Paul would have said, y'all stand firm in the faith. And that's what he means. This is not a letter to a Corinthian. It's a letter to the Corinthians. Do all you people at Providence Fellowship in 2022. It's teamwork and persevering. He says in Philippians... What he wants to hear about in his absence is they're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightening anything by their opponents. Put simply, their strength in numbers. You know, when, when we rally around the truths of the gospel, when we rally around the person of Jesus in his way of life, we are persecuted and we have doubts and we drift, but because it's we and not me, the strength and numbers the Spirit uses to pull us back in when you're weak and I'm strong. This is, I love the end of Jude because at the end of Jude, he says, have mercy on them all, snatch others from the fire. Well, who's going to snatch you from fire if there's nobody else around you? And the person that was snatched someday is going to need somebody else to snatch them. And, and it's just wisdom in the Old Testament. What does the Ecclesiastes writer says? He says, one man can be overtaken, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Holiness, keptness, is a team sport. And in isolation from God's people, we run the risk of losing God. Friends, we must endure together. We must stand firm together. It's... It's us, the body of Christ, together. So let me ask you, when it comes to what you believe, are you a leaf in the wind or an oak tree? Are you a leaf in the wind or are you an oak tree? you got roots two miles out, man. And I can't be moved. And it's not arrogance and it's not pride. It's just grace. I believe the Word of God, you know, to use the words of Martin Luther that he maybe didn't even say, here I stand and I can do no other. Here I stand and I can do no other. So is it, I think, it's, again, it's a cop-out for pastors to say general things like, love the Bible, everybody, because you go read that thing. You'll be good. Love the Bible. 
Well, it's certainly more nuanced than that. And that's why I want you to be a thinking Christian. Um, the Bible must be, as Paul says to Timothy, rightly divided. So I believe that starts with um, you having a vested interest in hearing sermons. Uh, not because I have an ego problem. You know, I might. I don't think I do. But if I wouldn't, that's not why I'm saying this. I'm saying that God has designed your keptness to include hearing sermons on a regular basis. Because when preaching, teaching, pastor, elders preach you know, sermons from Scripture, it's not let's listen to that man, it's let's hear what God has to say to us today. And I don't want to miss out on how God is trying to keep and persevere me and help me stand firm in the faith. So I'm going to be there and I want my wife to be there and I want my kids to be there because I want to hear God. And the Bible says, teach one another. So, so do it. You know, do it. And I've talked about this before. You don't need me as your pastor to, I approve of you going to the coffee house you know, throughout the week and studying the Word of God together. Teach one another. Teach one another. Like just decide. It's called discipling. Disciple one another. Pray. God, who, who in this church should I approach and say, hey, um, I need discipleship. Um, in my life, you know, would you want to walk through? Or, hey, I feel led of the Lord to disciple you. Could I walk through, you know, a, a scripture with you for a season? Or can we just start meeting? Go do that. You go do that. Systematic theology. When we've been talking about that. Okay, that's challenging to prepare and study for. But it's, it's good to think systematically about what you believe. Why are we doing that on Wednesday nights? To help us be kept. Stand firm in the faith in what we believe. And the psalmist says, hide in my heart the Word of God. So friends, you, you can't have enough of a personal relationship with God's Word on your own to hide His Word in your heart. So I like to think about Christian discipleship like a big messy spider web. You ever seen like a big messy spider web just kind of all over the place? I think that's good, that's good Christianity. Like I meet with them over there and on that night I do that thing and I'm serving here on that night and God's using me there and we're all back together on Sunday. And God's just got all these avenues both where He's pouring into you and pouring you out into others. I think that's just it's good, healthy discipleship. I want to I tack onto that point, um, this next point here. Um, act like men and be strong. Okay, so I think I'm connecting it because I think if you're going to stand firm in the faith, um, it requires this thing act like men and be strong. Okay, um, translating that act like men. So the, so the Greek word is andrizomai, and it comes from the word aner. Aner means man. Okay, I'm saying that because modern um, translations. It, like the NIV, a few of them have chosen to just make it brave or courageous. So if you look at a modern translation, it won't say act like men. It'll just say be courageous or, or it'll say brave. And I think it's a huge mistake. I think it's a huge mistake. Uh, because manliness is appropriate. Now, I know we live in a, a culture and society where anything that's considered masculine, like if I've heard, you know, if I hear toxic masculinity one more time, you know, like we, there are things that are good 
And because someone gets a hold of it and does it wrong, which is everything in life because we're all broken, it's a bad thing all of a sudden. And so our culture very much so has a war against masculinity. You, you, you have to agree with that. But that's not what Paul's saying. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, hey, men, you do the thing that God has called you to do. You be manly. Uh, the King James is quit you like men. King James always says things a little oh, better, you know. Quit you like men. It means, hey, men, it's your responsibility both in the home and in the church to lead well. I'll say this. When men don't lead well in the church and at home, everybody suffers. So it's not saying that women aren't tough. Like, oh, we all know if you just look at a woman wrong and blow, they'll fall over. The women are just so weak. That's not true. You think about J.L. in the Old Testament, she drives the peg through the general's head. Or you think about Ruth, Esther, and just you know, courage to do the hard thing. It's not saying that, that women can't exude it. It's just saying chiefly, men more than women are called to be tough. They're called to do the right thing when it's hard in the home and in the church. And when men fail to do that, everything goes awry. And, and, and I see it in front of my eyes all the time because you know, you know, I'm at the pregnancy center and I see men who never had men to follow. And I see, and Richard knows what I'm talking about, you just see the brokenness right there in front of your eyes. And so why the world is, is, is such a mess because men don't lead the way they're supposed to lead. So I say all that to say, I think it's very important that we hang on to that translation. Act like men. Because only men can be men. Can't believe that's a controversial thing to say. But it's a, that's a controversial... <laughs> only men can be men. And God holds us responsible for it, fellas. If the day comes and I start spitting some stuff out up here and it doesn't sound like this, you're going to take me to that door and say, Sir, on your way. This isn't the church for you to preach at anymore. Men, you must be men here in, this, here in this place, in your own homes. In Revelation 21, who is it that, that Jesus says will be thrown into uh, the lake of fire? And, and all the things that He says, the sexually immoral, blah, 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 blah. Cowards are right in there. So there's no room for cowardice in the Christian faith. Not because it's not scary and hard, it totally is. The amazing thing is that the Bible is, is absolutely full of references to God being your strength, your power, your help, your wisdom. So there is no enemy, there, there is no task um, so great that God isn't amply supplying all that you and I need to meet that task in spirit and truth. God is, is always so much more ready to stand with those who stand with Him. God stands with the ones who stand with Him. Believe that and put your feet you know, turn the soil and I'm, I'm not moving. You know, I'm not moving. And that's hard. And it's really hard. And I know it's easy for me as a pastor. Probably, you know, if, if we were in a different state, it would probably be, it would be harder maybe, or I would have to, you know, finesse my words, or there would maybe be more cookback. I get that we live in the Deep South, and I get that I could talk about um, LGBTQ whatever add-on issues, and most people are going to agree, even in secular culture. 
I realize that. But I also realize at the same time, if we don't stand our ground and name things for what they are, you will lose ground you had. So if you go on assuming, oh, this is the South and we all believe the right things, no, give it 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you won't anymore. So I'm not calling it out just because, ha, I like to get a good amen on that stuff. I like to bring it up and say it because it is so much so in my face. It's in my children's face. I wish I didn't have to already have that conversation with my six and nine-year-old, but I've had to do that because it's so, it's so there. It's just so there. You know, and it's like June always comes around, but I don't like this past June, like that was there in a way I hadn't seen before. You know, and just, just to give you an example, an example, like PayPal, for example, they're big, they're big LGBT supporters. But, so, like, well, I'm not going to use them anymore. And so I was ordering something, and I could just go straight through MasterCard and not use PayPal. And then I got to thinking, and so I Googled MasterCard LGBT. We are longstanding and proud supporters of I'm like, ugh. And then for the fun of it, I Googled the brand of car I have. And guess what they support? It's literally the ground beneath your feet. So I'm saying all that to say, you and I are going to be like slow-boiled frogs, you know, to use that illustration. If we don't just keep a fresh spirit and stand firm, it's, it's going to be, you know, I don't want my kids or my grandkids going, what are you talking about? Why? That's not a big deal. That's just not a big deal, you know? So, I didn't mean to go off on all that, but I just think it's, that's, that's an important point, you know, in our time to, to really wrestle with and say, I can't move on that. Even if you're going to call me, a, you know, a bigot, you're going to call me a hate monger, I have to stand on, on the Word of God, and I can't figure it. I can't keep figuring, right? It's like, if you stand on this leg, and you pull this leg up, and you turn your head sideways, the Bible says it completely different. And it's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to read the thing and let the Bible be the Bible, Okay. Last point here on this thing, and it's verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, I think that is the most unreasonable thing that Paul could have said at the end of this letter. I think it's entirely unreasonable. Um, Because he knows... He wrote the thing, and he knows how impossible and unlikely it would be for the Corinthian Christians to improve, much less finish well. It's a tall order. I would have preferred Paul to say, so white knuckle it, grit your teeth, you know, like feet like just you know, you're going to have to just get sticks out and whack one another, and you're going to have to be real rigid, and you're going to have to become zealots, and and you're going to have to be harsh if you're going to, like, try to keep yourself in line and keep other people in line. The guy who slept with his stepmother beat him. And you, when you sin, you you need to think of, of some way to punish yourself. And church needs to be a place of gravity where everybody is just, we're afraid of messing up, and, and maybe if we just keep this really harsh, rigid culture going, we can maybe do it. Maybe, maybe that would do it because they're such a mess. And maybe you know Christians who have been like this, or maybe you've been one. 
You come to the Christian faith and you see how difficult it is to go on with people. You see how much you're prone to sin and how much people around you are prone to sin. And it causes you to just kind of shut down. And I, what I do is I love truth without, well, I have truth without love. I know I'm supposed to go to church. I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. I know I'm supposed to participate in fellowship. But you do it gritting your teeth because deep in our hearts, we stop believing that God's really in control. And we stop believing that even though things are a mess, you know what? God's still bigger than all this stuff. You know what? It is a mess. But I'm going to still love my brothers and sisters because God loves them and the Gospel tells me He's already paid for all their sins and mistakes and God's already paid for all my sins and mistakes. And even though it seems to my eyes to be impossible, I don't have to fear God and fear retribution and I don't have to hate people when they wrong me because the love of Christ, it covers you know, over all of our sin. And I can believe, you know what, things are going to be okay. And Jesus, He's actually in charge of the church and He's in charge of all these sinners and he is going to make, He's going to bring us home. See, it's only, it's only love that I can really embrace the truth. If not, I do have to clench my fists and I do have to get really anxious and I do have to get re- really worried about how in the world are we going to pull this off. But here's the wonderful thing. It's not about you. It's not about me. The only answer to the because is God. Because God. Just because God. And take that to heart, friend. You, you may not feel it now, or perhaps you feel you're just really not doing well in the Christian life. You know, well, guess what? It's not, it's not about you. Because God. Because God. He can, he can pull you out of that dark place. He can get you through and He can bring you home. And that's good news for our church. And that's good news for any church that's struggling. And you really uh, chase... You know, he put the period on the end of the sentence with the Romans 8 thing. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Absolutely nothing, friends. Absolutely nothing. So let's continue to be watchful and stand firm and men act like men. And let's all be strong together because God loves us. So we can do everything in love. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, help us to believe that You are greater than our trials. You're greater than our fears. You're greater than um, our failures. You're greater than, um, Lord, everything that would cause us to doubt um, Your love, that would cause us to doubt, um, Lord, that You're keeping us for heaven, that You're preparing an eternal weight of glory for us. Lord, our minds can ruminate and think up and play so many games on why it just couldn't possibly be so. Lord, help us turn our eyes and our hearts to Your Son and see that Jesus, it's His sufficiency. It's His goodness. It's His power. It's His love. Father, it's Your Spirit working to produce in us Christ and to make us, Lord... Um, fully sanctified on the last day. So Lord, refresh our hearts, I pray. Um, I pray for those of us, maybe we're just tired. Maybe we're just tired um, 
being a mom's tiresome, being a dad's tiresome, working's tiresome. Um, just so many reasons why we maybe just feel worn down tonight. We feel um, just like tomorrow's coming and we wish it wasn't. I just pray you refresh our spirits, Lord. Remind us that you love us. And remind us, Father, because you love us, um, we can go on in love. We can love you, Father. We can love those around us. Um, Lord, so we just say because, because of you, only because of you, uh, do we live only because of you? Uh, do we love and only because of you, Lord, will we make it? And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.